We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, Go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess. Regular listeners hopefully know that this is when we take a break from interviewing grandmasters and authors and talk to someone who's made significant uh, progress in chess as a hobby. Um, And our guest today is a 28-year-old applied mathematics graduate student, but has made amazing progress in his chess uh, as a hobby. He has brought his Lee Chess Rapid reading up to over 2,300. It's been a slow and steady climb over an eight-year span. His Lee Chess Blitz rating is also over 2,100, and he's got some results IRL against uh, um, some titled players as well. Of course, uh, the IRL chess has been on the back burner uh, due to COVID, but uh, the, the climb continues, and I'm eager to welcome him to the show and discuss his life and his chess progress. So, Michael Franco, a.k.a. Knows Knows All and Lee Chess, thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So, Michael, um, you've got an unusual background in, in that you got into chess due to some medical 
issues. So could you sort of walk us through the beginnings of uh, how it is that you stumbled into the chess universe? Sure. So technically, as a tiny kid, um, my grandmother actually introduced me to chess, um, but never really got into it too much as a kid. I might have played a little bit at like school, but never really actually got to, to play a scholastic tournament or anything like that. So fast forward to uh, my senior year of undergraduate, and I actually ended up getting diagnosed with um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so suddenly I was quarantined from the rest of the world because I had um, a compromised immune system and I was struggling to basically stay focused due to chemotherapy treatment. And suddenly my entire world has shifted and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need to find something productive to do because I have to stay sane. (laughs) And that's exactly how I found chess, basically. I remembered, all right, I'm a math person. Maybe chess is something that I could be interested in. And this was 2013, just around the time that Magnus Carlsen was challenging Anand for the World Chess Championship. Um, And I found Chess Network, uh, not streaming at the time, but the YouTube recaps um, of this tournament. And it was, I was hooked, basically. (laughs) It was a great, great hobby to do when I was feeling down, basically. I could always stay focused enough to just basically enjoy chess and maybe slightly in the beginning improve. Well, improve a lot over time. Um, But I'm curious because I feel like, you know, the main draw of chess, uh, I've, I've always felt this way as well, but I've really learned it more as a podcast host is the game is the most appealing part of the game. You know, everyone... We might be chess fans. We might like watching the top players play. We might be able to appreciate a certain beautiful move. But um, you think even more so than some other sports, there's no substitute for playing. And I think that's especially true at the club level because the world's best players are so good that it's hard to appreciate. Like watching Magnus play chess is not the same thing as watching like Roger Federer play tennis or something like that. Like you can see the physical marvel of uh, Roger Federer, but with Magnus playing another elite player, the level that they're playing on is so strong um, that you need a lot of help. One needs a lot of help, uh, myself included, to to follow what's going on. So it's interesting to me that you came into chess uh, not just interested in the game, but right away drawn to sort of the spectacle so what is it, Michael, do you think about the World Championship match in 2013 that, that piqued your interest? Well, I think one thing that was super interesting to me was that the number one player of quote-unquote all time, I didn't really know much, but I would still agree with that, um, he was not the world champion. So at first, mm-hmm. I was interested that there's the storyline of, I won't call him the underdog because he was the higher rated player by a significant margin, um, but this person who had never been champion before suddenly challenging the throne and he was coming in with like this huge uh, tour de force rating and and his uh, his play was impressive and I basically the way that Jerry aka chess network kept breaking down the ideas that Magnus was coming up with I was just perpetually impressed like at every single stage of every single game I was always like wow this is great so I came into chess definitely as a fan of Magnus just based on Chess Network's commentary. (laughs) Yeah, and I think most listeners are probably familiar with Chess Network's um, hugely popular YouTube channel, and as Michael alludes to, been at it for a long time. So Mm -hmm. uh, he's got videos for for all levels for anyone interested. Um, And hearing you discuss, like, sort of the appeal of Magnus, um, so 
was it the style of play or was it the fact that he's young and maybe a little more relatable or just like the the dominance? What do you think it was that ma- that made him appeal to you first, Michael? Yeah, definitely his style of play was super interesting to me. Um, I will say it's probably because I was a newer player at the time. Imagine, I think my first ratings were around like 1100 Lee Chess. Um, so I basically didn't know too much. And I knew that, quote unquote, I was bad at tactics because <laughs> I was bad at tactics. And yet here was Magnus Carlsen completely demolishing one of the best players of all time and, quote unquote, never using tactics. Now, obviously, that's not actually true, but um, to kind of a superficial level of what an 1100 version of me was understanding, I was like very impressed that you could basically play chess without actually trying to like murder the other guy on the board, but instead just calmly build up these positional victories uh, little by little. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Jerry did a good job explaining Magnus's style to you because obviously it rings true to this day. I mean, uh, of course, he has some amazing tactics in uh, his library of games, but certainly not not what he's known best for. And of course, we'll we'll get to your improvement in a minute, Michael. That's going to be sort of the main topic of, of this interview. But I'm curious, as as the years have gone on, um, A, if like your fandom for Magnus persists, Magnus in particular, and B, if you still follow top-level chess uh, at, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah, I will definitely say that I followed all of the candidates tournaments and the world championships um, since 2013 when I first got into it. Um, And then, of course, because I have been reading a lot of books and stuff, I've also gone back in time. (laughs) I've uh, checked out Tal's games. I've checked out Karpov's games, Kasparov, etc. I won't follow live, basically, any of the other tournaments, usually due to time constraints. But um, there's a lot of really good recap videos out there. Um, Power Play Chess, in particular, is a YouTube channel that I very much uh, enjoy his recaps of the the top-level games. So I'm kind of, I'll say I'll, I'm uh, occasionally following them, but I'm not like sitting there waiting for the players to, to finish their classical games and kind of analyzing in detail. It's just more of a, a hobby. Um, as to the Magnus question, um, yes, I definitely still am a huge Magnus uh, fanboy. I will say that um, 2013, 14, 15, 16, and then like even 17 Magnus felt like um, what Karpov could have been if he had like a little bit more engines. (laughs) Uh And so I was always like very impressed. And this was around the time that I was starting to improve. So I kept being impressed by Magnus. But then fast forward to 2019 Magnus, and he just suddenly becomes Kasparov. And I don't Mm. understand how someone can do that even now. But it's, it's still, it's just amazing to me, basically, how he was literally able to change his style completely on its head and then also by the way reach his top rating of all time again so i i love that about him yeah yeah it's it's pretty amazing i mean i I wouldn't quite compare it to kasparov like because the thing is he still has the whole toolkit from before too sure but it's just like yeah something about alpha zero i think and uh uh studying with the new engines sort of unleashed a whole new wave of of uh creativity and um um I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I like all the players. And of course, as a podcast host, I have to um, at least pretend to be neutral. But <laughs> I, do, I do have a special uh, affinity for for Magnus. Um, how do you feel about uh, his chances against uh, Nepo? Yeah, I definitely think that he is the favorite. I will say that if the position gets nonsensical, uh, Nepo might be able to take a game off of him. But I don't know, 2019 Magnus, if he shows up, uh, I, I don't think he can beat 
Yeah, as we record this on September 29th, this won't be out for a couple of weeks, but um, the Meltwater Championship is ongoing. Um, the Champions Chess Tour final round, and uh, he's coming off a high in Norway chess. He seems to be peaking at the right time, um, but but we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, Nepo is certainly a, a formidable opponent. Yeah. Um, but we'll leave it there on the uh, the the global chess elite chess landscape of course as the world championship um comes closer here on perpetual chess there will be more coverage forthcoming as well as uh during the uh world championship so certainly looking forward to that but this is an adult improver episode so so michael you just you're about 1100 in fairly short order and we should say this is 1100 lead chess so for I mean, it's a bit of a pain <laughs> constantly uh, <laughs> translating ratings, but for anyone listening, that's probably more like under a thousand if you have a USCF rating or something like that. I mean, it basically means like you're probably hanging a piece every fourth game or something sure. you think no, at the beginning, Michael? Much, much more than every fourth game. I was for sure hanging a piece basically every game, I would say at that point. Okay. And then the the journey begins. So what so what happened? How did you um how did you slowly hang fewer pieces? <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely the uh, biggest skill that I have gained <laughs> from 1100 <laughs> to 2300. Um, I would say that it started with me listening to the advice that I kept hearing from people, which was uh, chess is 99% tactics. And so I had a tactics app that I would kind of do on my downtime. Um, I had graduated from um, undergrad and I was working for a little bit there while I was Basically, the, the treatment lasted uh, several years technically, but it was really only eight months where I was like out of it. Um, so for kind of those several years, I was slowly getting better at chess as well as kind of like getting into the working world as well. Um, I would say a lot of tactics during that time. I wasn't really improving by analyzing my own games because I wasn't playing any games worth analyzing. Um, and I really had no connection to any communities or anything because at the time... Um, kind of in my own little bubble, didn't have things like Discord. Twitch was uh, the Twitch chess scene. I mean, the chess bras kind of started around then, but they, they weren't quite there. So there really was no uh, live chess. You couldn't talk to anyone. So I was basically in my own bubble, saw a couple YouTube videos and just basically kept playing while focusing on not hanging pieces and then trying to recreate the tactics that I was doing in like the side. Um, but yeah, the beginning was definitely quite slow. I would say I did not improve very quickly at all for several Okay. Years. But, but like you said, 99% tactics. So mainly you feel like if you were to look at your games and try to discern a lesson from it, it would be like, don't hang a piece basically. Yeah. It was don't hang a piece. And then also why aren't you developing? Why aren't you controlling the center? Yeah. Just kind of the basic things. Uh, a friend of mine actually had given me the book, um, a first book of Morphe actually. Ah, and been name checking that one a lot lately. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and while I read the material, I couldn't, I didn't have a chessboard, so I couldn't actually go through the book and I couldn't also visualize. So I kind of was struggling to actually see what was even happening on the chessboard. Um, but I did read at least the like key takeaways of every single game, which is control the center, develop your pieces as soon as possible, make threats, et cetera, et cetera. That like Morphe showed us how to do. So that, I would say it helped me a little bit, but I was still even too early in my chess development to really appreciate uh, what I was being taught by the book, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, Morphe can help, especially like you say, with the development and the castling. He he's not going to help you not hang your pieces. You know, right. that's kind of that you're on your own for that. Definitely. But uh, but but yeah, I mean, I I think I mentioned on a recent podcast, Neil Bruce has been recommending that book for a while, and mm-hmm. it's definitely a good choice for someone who was in a similar is in a similar situation to where you were. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, so you're grinding tactics and slowly starting to to hang fewer pieces. Mm-hmm. And then you had mentioned in an email to me that eventually you started to, to read more books. And that's when you felt like your growth uh, accelerated. Yeah, I would say at some point in 2015 or 16. So this is now two to three years later. Um, I'd been doing chess on and off, you know, it hadn't been anything that I was like 100% super committed and serious about. But um, I had read at that point, reassess your chess by Jeremy Silman, international master Jeremy Silman. And the book is, it gets a lot of love-hate <laughs> from the community. Yeah. Um, personally, it was the first time that someone had basically laid out to me all of the positional ideas. And it was the first time that I started to actually understand like why Magnus was making these moves more than just um, this is the specifics of the position. It started to like give me basically a roadmap to how to understand uh, positional chess and I, I really did not have anything before that. You know, I'd seen some chess network videos and I'd, I'd heard him analyze his blitz games type of thing. But I, again, I was completely in my own bubble. So reading this book really helped me suddenly start to see that uh, the goals of chess are not just tactics and don't hang pieces, but rather once you see something on the board that it should then kind of clue you into what you should be thinking. So rather than you just always scrambling to find tactics, um, the board itself kind of helps shape uh, your thoughts and tell you where you should Okay. And yeah, and uh, I, of course, did a podcast about uh, Reassess Your Chest that their listeners can check out. And overall, I'm a fan of it, although um, there, there are a couple other books I probably like even more just because of the, the sheer... Uh, it's like overkill. There's so much information sure. in um, reassess your chess. But one thing that strikes me is I feel like a lot of the people learn reading it. It uh, they they feel lost when they're playing. Like what I think it can help a lot with is they coming up with a plan. Like mm-hmm. you don't know how to come up with a plan once you're like, okay, I develop my pieces, and then what? And Silman with his list of imbalances um, is quite helpful in terms of like thinking about what to do next. But on the other hand, I feel like when you look at people's games from around that level, like say, you know, 1300 USCF, so maybe 1600 Lee Chess Rapid, something around that general level, it's still, they're not playing like Jeremy Selman, right? Like the games are still not, you know, like you, you can now diagnose a weak square or an isolated pawn or a backward pawn and you might develop a mini plan to uh, attack that pawn. And that gives you a feeling of confidence, which might help you manage your time better, but it's not the determining factor in the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, how do you balance sort of in looking back at what gave you the, the footing that has ultimately led you becoming a much stronger player? How do you balance sort of just it giving you confidence versus like it actually helping you play better? Yeah. So definitely coming up with the plans was something that before reading that book, I had never even considered really doing. It was just uh, the the rules of, of Morphe, if you will, <laughs> try, yeah. try and attack at all costs type of thing. So even kind of appreciating that you can sit on a weak square 
um, and just and just chill with the knight on d5 and just say, great, I have a knight on d5. This is a monster. And what do you have? <laughs> just yeah. even even kind of feeling that was something that I'd never done before. I agree. I was still occasionally, you know, hanging a piece or missing a tactic that would then kind of ruin the positional uh, quote unquote masterpiece that I was trying to do. Huh. Um, but basically formulating the thoughts in the correct way and maybe correct might be a, a bit of a stretch, but at least, you know, in a correct way um, helped. It's, it's more than just a confidence thing. It's more of a like for, okay, here, here's an example. Once you have a passed pawn, Previously, I would use the pass pawn probably to just distract someone and then maybe try and checkmate them. But once you kind of appreciate how a pass pawn can really just win the game by becoming a queen and force them back and back and back, and then you can checkmate them. Suddenly, right. this was something that I had never really considered before, and and suddenly I'm becoming a, a better player. So it really was... Um, like I, I credit this book a lot in terms of just introducing me to this world before reading that book. And it, it took me almost a full year probably to read the book. Um, yeah, it's huge. It's, it is huge. Yeah. And, and go through a lot of the exercises with um, some friends, but basically it was before that I was confused. And after that, I at least had inklings of ideas that I should be considering that kind of made me feel both more comfortable and also like more directed. Um, okay. And so, yeah, then obviously the calculation level needed to then make that a reality was not there yet, but it was, um, that, that was my first step. That was definitely a big first step for me. And, and really my rating actually did shoot up. I would say like 200 plus points oh, wow. after reading that book, or maybe just because of the year of chess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have a follow-up on that, the aforementioned year of chess, but first uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by our longtime sponsors, our original sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is known for its proprietary move trainer technology, which utilizes space repetition to help you remember openings, tactical patterns, whatever it is that you're working on. They have a huge library of courses, including the free short and sweet versions of various openings. Speaking of openings, they just dropped Lifetime Repertoires, The London System by Grandmaster Lequang Liam. Love or hate the London, you got to know what to do against it. So be sure to take a look for that. And don't forget to sub to the How to Chess podcast hosted by yours truly. We just had Peter Fiddler on, other big guests in the works. So all the links you need are in the show description. Let's get back to talking chess. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. So, Michael, um, as you had just mentioned, you read Reassess Your Chess and felt like it it helped your game immensely. Um, one thing I'm curious about is, okay, you're reading this, but you're also playing. Um, and you, I'm gathering from what you're saying that you were starting to reach the level where, like, some analysis of your game might be might be more beneficial. Um, so, what was your sort of approach to analyzing games during that period? Were you um, and like what time control were you playing and and stuff like that? Yeah. 
So this was definitely around the time where I was playing a lot slower time controls. I basically cut off all of my blitz play because uh, if I'm trying to kind of control a weak square or push a pass pawn, those things take a lot of effort and time. So I was really happy to play 15 plus 10 games mostly. Um, Good for you. And really basically focus on what went wrong. A lot of the time, what went wrong was I was missing tactics, I was missing threats, I was missing, you know, things that were actually ruining my plans. But um, I was also starting to see games where the person would mess up, my opponent would mess up reasonably early, which would give me some huge positional advantage, and I would then actually be able to convert that into something that would be winning. So it was kind of the the conversion process I had enough time to figure out. <laughs> so That must have been a good feeling. It was yeah. a good feeling. And I was not quite at the level where I was creating the positional things and seeing it before it would happen. But I was at the level where if it did happen, I was capitalizing on it. So maybe I wouldn't understand how all the pawn structures could change. And I wouldn't understand specifically like, oh, this would be great for me if that happened. But then sometimes I would kind of walk into these, uh, wait a second, that's a weak pawn. Or, oh, I know the d5 square is really important. (laughs) And then I would be able to actually capitalize on it. So yeah, that was really nice. And this was also around the time where I started to take chess a lot more seriously because I'm reading this book and I'm starting to understand and I'm seeing my rating go up and I'm like, okay, let me actually put some some effort into this. And I started reading more and I started playing more. And as you said, I started analyzing these games more. And um, yeah, around this point, I would say I was reaching roughly 2,000 Lee Chess Rap. Oh, that's, a, yeah, that's um, big already. Yeah. So, so definitely that book. And, uh, I, <laughs> to be honest, I've, I've reread it a couple of times over the years. Um, I won't say it's my favorite book anymore, but I definitely will credit it with opening my eyes to, to what positional chess is. Yeah. So obviously I've, in a second, I've got to ask you what your favorite book is now, <laughs> sure. but, but, um, but I wanted to highlight, I think you mentioned in an email to me that you, you've never had a coach, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's impressive. You just figured it all out on on your own. Um, But anyway, what's your favorite book? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Back to the real question, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's a tough one. I I don't really know if I have a favorite book. I will say that there have been some books that are extremely memorable to me. Um, One of them was um, Igor Stahl's um, 50 chess modern Modern, chess masterpieces right yeah and that showed i've read that one a lot more recently but that one showed uh 50 games i think from like 90 to 2002 or sometime around then of of just basically top level games and, and what they were thinking and how they play and those games just from like a pure aesthetic perspective were just like oh wow like if I yeah. could get to that level, talk about something that you yeah. could be proud of. Like any of those games were just unbelievable. So I really liked um, the, the sense of awe you could get from that game. Uh, sorry, from that book. And I also think he did a pretty good job of um, explaining like the, the thought processes. I'm not sure if I necessarily improved on the same level um, like I did from Reassessor Chess. But in terms of just like very memorable game after memorable game just going through that was was pure joy that's really really fun yeah it's been a while since i've read it but pretty pretty detailed annotations Mm -hmm. i would i would advise listeners i think probably like 2000 lee chess rapid on up something like that maybe slightly lower it's a fairly advanced book i just want to warn people yeah i I would honestly say higher than that um i think i was only reading it when i was 2100 rapid at minimum or, or maybe even more um, and it was 
there are definite parts where you just have to skip some of them because it goes too much into the weeds for for my level at that time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to, you know, a lot of sheer off games and stuff. Sure. So it's, yeah, it's just pieces flying all over the place. Exactly. Variation <laughs> after variation. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I mean, but I feel like already you've made you've made big progress. So, um, and you mentioned it was a more concerted effort as you started to see some progress. So how much time a week, Michael, do you think you were spending on chess? Yeah, so I started grad school and I joined the. I, I go to Berkeley for applied math PhD, and I joined the um, kind of the the school chess club, which is different than the Berkeley chess club, which is kind of in the neighboring area. But the school's chess club was the first time I had met an international master before. And we were just like, oh, you're just a college kid. <laughs> I'm a grad student, you're a college kid. You know, there's a there's a pecking order apparently and uh, <laughs> international master doesn't change it. But um, yeah, basically all of a sudden I'm talking to people about chess every Friday and they're crushing me in just like unbelievable ways. And, and I'm just like getting more and more experience of like how horribly you can get absolutely <laughs> mopped off the board. Right. But after each game, they were analyzing with me and we would talk about the games. We would talk about like what went wrong. And uh, more often than not, these players who are 2,300 uh, USCF or, or higher are basically like perfectly identifying exactly when I went wrong. And, and this started to, to give me more and more stuff. And, and so basically in terms of how much time per week was I putting in, um, Friday starting from 4 PM was the chess club. Um, and I would basically play those games. I was at the level now where I could memorize the games that we had played. So then I would go back home, open up Lee chess, plug in the analysis and then see basically comparing my thoughts to their thoughts and, and seeing like, well, wait, they're always right about everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so um, th this was taking, definitely my Fridays would be like a lot of chess. Um, occasionally during the, uh, the, I guess the work week, if you could call it that. Uh, as a grad student, it's hard to say the work week, but um, maybe one or two hours of playing per day. Maybe that's a little bit high, but this was kind of what I was aspiring to. So one to two hours. And okay. then occasionally on like a Friday or Saturday, um, that kind of chess club uh, jolt of energy would then push me to, to do like maybe five hours on a Friday or, or maybe like another four or five hours on a Saturday kind of thing. Okay. So yeah, um, a uh, aggressive, but not like unfathomable chess schedule, I would say. Um, and were these games uh, kind of rapid pace as well with the uh, other kids from the Berkeley Chess Club? Uh, yeah, I'd always ask for the longest time control possible because I'm the old man here. Right. <laughs> um, but no, unfortunately, most of the time it was probably five plus three would be like the longest I could get them to play. Um, yeah. Maybe I'd play a 10 plus five occasionally, um, but usually they'd just crush me in five minutes anyway. So <laughs> it wouldn't change well, uh, too much. I time. mean, it shows a good, good attitude, a growth mindset that you were just like lapping it up and then analyzing the games afterwards. Yeah, you definitely learn a lot from analyzing your own games, both with the engine, as long as you know what to look for. Um, but then also kind of hearing their thoughts. And when they say things like, oh, in this variation of the Richter Rouser, I was surprised you didn't play this. And I'm like, I, I didn't even know that was a move. Like, what do you mean? I'm right. surprised by. Um, so yeah, I mean, they obviously had more theory than me, but it started to actually not be the case because I would play the same people over and over again, who are um, one of them without maybe name dropping because I haven't asked them if that's okay. But um, 
someone is a uh, woman international master who is competing at the uh, U.S. Women's Championship, and and she would always play the French against me, and she would also I was playing the French at the time, so she would play into my French, and we would get the poison pawn variation of the um, uh, the winner. So it, these positions suddenly are are just explosive, and everything is hanging, and I'm starting to learn like variations that are extremely detailed, but I'm also starting to understand what's happening at the end of the variation, which is something that I didn't like used to be able to do. But after playing a whole bunch of games against someone much higher rated and you see how you lose on both sides, suddenly you, you can start to improve that way. <laughs> so yeah, that was yeah, really useful. Great, great to play training games in your, or even casual games that you take seriously in, in your most frequently seen openings. And obviously in the computer age, you can do that against these various computers on, on Lee Chess and everywhere else. And Michael, hearing you talk about the, the French winnower and a couple of your um, most featured lines makes me wonder, what was your approach to openings generally? Were you studying them much? Yeah, so it's kind of uh, an interesting journey where I've uh, backpedaled completely. So on this point, was maybe the first time this is 2017 18 somewhere around there this was the first time that i was really starting to actually look at openings and start to memorize some ideas um maybe even like form my first repertoire so i'm like 2000 lee chess and i would probably get taken out of book like very quickly (laughs) um and i think that's pretty typical honestly but uh before that i was playing things that would avoid tactics. That's what I was playing because I was scared of tactical positions. I was kind of following the Jeremy Silman, uh, you know, everything's going to be an advantage and the advantages that I understand are those that are static. And I didn't like IQPs and I didn't like uh, positions where everything was exploding. And then around 2018, I realized that I needed to switch it up. Basically, I realized that the reason that I kind of am scared about this stuff is because I have no experience in it. And so I switched from the Caro Con, where I would try and play the most calm variations possible to um, originally, I started basically castling opposite in uh, where white castled in the Caro Con. But then it started to be where I was like, all right, well, let me play the French because they're very similar. But in the French, everything explodes. And so I'm going to get hurt if I don't understand (laughs) what to do when the position is blowing up in my face. Um, I started to play uh, the open Sicilian. I had been avoiding the the open Sicilian as an E4 player this whole time. And I started to say, okay, let me actually play into the Sicilian and let's see what happens. So I'm looking at lines, yes, but I'm actually, I think more than anything, it was like a mindset. Uh, Don't be afraid of the things you're not good at. And then afterwards, I would then basically play variation after variation against the computer from the game and see like, okay, this is what I was afraid of. What could have happened if we went into that? And then seeing the various ways that the computer would have destroyed my ideas. <laughs> so that kind of helped a lot, uh, basically get over a fear. And now now I actually play the Sicilian as black. Um, and I'm very happy when the position explodes as long as I have active pieces. So it's, it's kind of a that's been a big struggle where I, I flipped completely 180 from someone who always avoids scary stuff to now uh, diving in, basically. That's great. That uh, inspiring and again shows sort of a, a growth mindset where you're just willing to to sacrifice short term um, in order for longer term gain. Uh, rings reminiscent of uh, some advice that FM Peter Giannatos gave um, in our recent interview. Um, 
And I know, Michael, you mentioned in, in our emails, um, you played some tournaments. So what's, mm-hmm. what's going on with tournaments during all this? Are you playing them much? So right around 2018, um, a friend of mine said, dude, you're 2100 leeches, which according to the percentiles is like, you know, 90 something. He was like, you have to play one tournament. Like this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I can't afford it. I'm a starving grad student <laughs> who doesn't want to, to spend money to know that I'm going to get beat by some 10 year olds. And he, you know, I'm in Berkeley. He's a Silicon Valley person. He said, uh, listen, I'll, I'll pay for your first tournament. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And um, if, if you get any earnings, then you'll pay me back. <laughs> so uh, that was my first tournament. It was 2018. There was uh, one kind of near where I lived. And it was actually a very big one based on what I found out about tournaments now. It was the Golden State Open, which has, I think, $50,000 of prize money, maybe like a little bit more than that. Um, and I remember in this first tournament that I went to, um, Kostya Kavutsky was there and I, I said hello to him and a couple of uh, GMs that I had like heard about. Suddenly I'm just like seeing them chilling. So yeah, the very first tournament was intense because I was unrated and I was playing in the under 1800 section because I figured at least there, if I'm 2100 leeches, maybe I'll be 1800 uh, over the board. And that was completely inaccurate. <laughs> um, as, as an aside, uh, I actually was, I, I always hear people say that people who only play online chess don't adapt well to playing in person over the board chess. And actually, in my experience, it's very odd. Uh, I just wanted to throw this out there that I never had this issue at all. And the reason I never had this issue is because I actually would play chess on the physics simulator game, Tabletop Simulator. Huh. And it's it's like a game where you're basically you can do it in VR. I never had a VR thing, but you basically are like a third, uh, third person kind of no, no, sorry, it's a first person look at like a, a chessboard in 3D, and so you're moving the pieces. And there, it's not like Lee Chess where you know everything's 2D and you like make a move and it's all like legally checked according to everything. It's just like a a physics simulator so you can like flip the table and you can you know knock pieces around and you can just like make random things so actually i I credit that yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) it's crazy i credit that game a lot with with making my first tournament um not at all bad in fact i I felt very comfortable with the 3d uh world well i mean you're also playing at the club though to be fair right so at this point though this was 2018 i had played at the club for for one year so yeah this was at the the beginning um, yeah, this was tough. I did okay in the tournament in that I think I went just below 50%, um, but I was not playing people that were 1800 and I was going mm-hmm. just uh, below 50%. So that was a, uh, so you got a provisional of like 16 something or exactly or sometime okay. something around there. Um, yeah. then the next year, 2019 played the same tournament, um, did a lot better, basically, uh, only lost one game due to my own, uh, kind of getting in my own head but otherwise i won or drew everything and this was basically the last time that i was trying to play exclusively like karpov and and right after that tournament i looked at kind of what had happened and i analyzed all these games to death because they were really interesting games for once um and i realized again i was completely scared of when the positions would would blow up when there were several scenarios where if i had just allowed the position to blow up i would have 
like it would have been so good for me. Um, but I was like, oh no, I'm too scared. I can't allow that. So that's when I like completely changed my openings and I completely said like mindset wise, I need to be comfortable in those positions if I want to be able to to crush people like that. <laughs> so um, yeah, the tournaments nice. were really nice, but it was really only two tournaments so far um, in person. And then uh, there was a, a COVID online tournament uh, that I played, which was really interesting um, where I actually ended up getting a, a tournament performance rating of 2370, which was kind of insane. Um, but I uh, went seven and a half out of nine and several of those players were 2000 over the board and one of them was an international master and I drew the international master. Um, so that was, it was a fantastic tournament. Amazing. Yeah. I, I don't think I am 2370. That is definitely um, a fluke, but it, this was after I had kind of changed my mindset and it really did show. In fact, in the game against the IM, um, I sacked the exchange just completely without anything except for here's a full exchange, take it. Um, it was the correct move and I followed it up correctly. And then we reached an end game uh, where I had a knight and two pawns against the rook. And um, there were a couple other pawns also on the board and it ended up being a draw. So okay. ultimately the correct decision. And it was very exciting to do that against someone like 600 wow. points higher rated than me. Yeah, that's that's great. All right, I have a, I have a few follow-ups. So sure. n- number one, bringing it back to the USCF tournaments that you played. Um, I know there's some online stuff trying to convert Lee Chess ratings um, to... Uh, USCF slash FIDE, which are, again, somewhat approximate, probably within 100 points with uh, USCF tending to be higher than FIDE. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on your N of two and your sort of anecdotal observations, what what do you think a 2100 FIDE rapid player, what do you think that does translate to? Like, do you think you played at your level in, in that first tournament? Or do you think like uh, maybe like your nerves got you a little bit and you underperformed? Uh, and you got the 1600 performance rating. Yeah, definitely my nerves were for sure a thing because I've never been so focused for that long. Um, so it was a little bit of nerves and it was a little bit of stamina. I definitely never played that much chess yeah. for, for that long. It was a four-day tournament and I was like playing seven hours a day and my heart could barely take it. Like I was just like yeah, that yeah, focused. It's intense. Yeah. yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Definitely would recommend, um, but definitely the nerves and, and the overall fact that this was my very first time, it, it was a struggle. So um, at that point, I was 2100 rapid. This was with the caveat that Lee Chess has changed the rapid ratings somewhat recently in 2021. So that probably would translate to, to something even higher now, I think. Um, but I would say probably around 1700 if I had to okay. guess. So not like that underperforming, but a little bit underperforming. I would also say that probably everyone says that they're underrated. So in that sense, maybe right. it's <laughs> a little bit of personal bias, but yeah. Okay, interesting. And um, do you have any advice for anyone listening who's Play, like you who's played a lot online reached a decent level and and never played a tournament i would say you're not alone i definitely in that one tournament met three other people who were unrated who also had played a lot of chess online for several years and i mean now we're post queen's gambit boom so i'm sure that number has exponentially increased um but yeah definitely you're not alone go for it it's a lot of fun um, I would strongly recommend that you bring extra food 
this was something that I did not understand beforehand. <laughs> and so I actually had to offer a couple of draws because I was just beat and tired and hungry. That was not like my best chess. Um, but yeah, bring, bring a lot of food and just go for it. Because even if you end up completely underperforming and let's say you think you're 1700 and you get a 1200 rating, um, that doesn't define you obviously as a person. And secondly, it means that when you come back, you're going to get that feeling of increasing a lot of rating really quickly. And that's going to be just as good (laughs) as getting it on, on the first time around. So there's actually a lot less stress than, uh, what you put on yourself. Okay. And, and another question, I mean, it's a cool story about your friend putting you in your first tournament because you, you know, the, the cost was prohibitive, which is certainly understandable. Um, were you tempted to, to go for the section that sort of maximized your chances of winning a prize? (laughs) Right, right. Like if I had played the under 1200 or something. Yeah. With no um, technically, I think as an unrated person, there's a cap on how much yeah. you can get. And that's probably why. Um, so people like me don't don't end up taking all the money. Um, no, I don't think I was tempted because if I'm only going to play one tournament a year or at this point, one tournament ever, I wanted it to be games that I would be proud of and games that I could analyze and kind of improve on. So I, I wasn't really tempted to, to try and think about the money. I really was like, all right, let me put my best foot forwards and, and play people where I won't win necessarily. Okay. All right. Well, it's been awesome hearing your, um, hearing your tournament experiences. Um, I want to hear about a few more chess books, and I want to hear about some of the Twitch modding you're doing. But first, Michael, we're going to take one more break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by ChessMood.com. ChessMood is a subscription-based instructional website founded by Grandmaster Avtek Gregorian, who you can hear on episode 192 of Perpetual Chess. Founded by Avtek and his team of Grandmasters, there's a huge library of opening, middle game, and end game videos. There's special events like webinars, streams, one-on-one blitz games. Every Chess Mood member gets a consultation call with one of the uh, Grandmaster coaches. And also be sure to check out Chess Mood's free content. Avtech has a great blog. They also have a YouTube channel where they're posting videos from Grandmasters daily. So links you need are in the show description, but be sure to check out ChessMood.com. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by AimChess.com. AimChess, of course, collects your games from the major chess sites and then gives you an actionable study plan. So it's a great resource for players and coaches alike. It tells you how you compare to your rating peers in openings, end games, time management, all that stuff. It told me I was behind on the clock in 87% of my recent Blitz games. I think I might need to work on that. And thanks to AimChess for pointing that out. But it's a great product. Go to AimChess and check it out. And if you decide to try out a subscription, use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30%. As always, the info you need is also in the show notes. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
And we are back. And so, Michael, I wanted to follow up because in, in again, in, in our correspondence, you mentioned several other books. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, you could bring it forward to sort of your current level. Like, what are you working on in your chess now? And what's sort of getting you excited right now? Yeah, there's been a lot of chess books that I've been reading since COVID hit. Um, my top ones that I've finished would include, um, I basically finished Pump Up Your Rating. That was a pretty good book. Yeah. Um, Essential Chess Sacrifices was a really fun book also to kind of dig into where it was, here's all the ways you can sacrifice on F7. Here's all the ways you can sacrifice on G7. Here's all the ways you can play Knight D5 as a peace sacrifice. And as I was kind of picking up the Sicilian, um, this was kind of a fun way to to see, oh, wait, all these are open Sicilians. Uh, (laughs) Because that's just like where uh, fun happens on the chessboard, if you will. And I have also been reading um, very currently, like the most recent book that I've been reading is uh, Augard's um, GM Prep Thinking Inside the Box. Um, It's a little bit above my pay grade, but I've been doing it kind of with some friends. We've been working through the puzzles together and um, the actual like advice he gives uh, not all of it even applies at all to my rating because he, he, you know, he's talking to someone who's going to be like a 13 or 14 year old pushing GM and he's saying like, here are the, the thoughts you need to have on the opening. And I'm here just being like, I completely changed my repertoire just to kind of get a little bit more experience. So um, yeah, it's definitely above my pay grade, but it's, uh, it's really well written. And I, I really do yeah, like that book, book as well. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's, there's a couple others for sure. Um, there's... Um, I, have, I haven't done Woodpecker Method, but Pump Up Your Rating did talk about uh, the Woodpecker Method, and uh, I like that idea for sure. Um, there was the book, let me recall, it was um, Sokolov. I'm trying to remember what his oh, book uh, was. Middle Game something or other? Yeah, um, exactly, like chess middle yeah. games. Um, and then also the other one that was similar to that was... Um, del rio's um uh chess structures i think is what it was called yeah and, rios yeah it's a great yeah book. that one was um, definitely oh sorry flores rios flores rios yeah um, yeah that was that was a, probably the best um book on chess structure that i'd read um although i haven't really checked out sam shanklin's which is also supposed to be quite good so i've read a lot of books in the past two years and um i don't know exactly how much it's helped me it's definitely opened my eyes to a lot but in terms of like overall chess improvement, um, sometimes I'll say it's a little bit more entertainment than it is straight improvement. Um, analyzing the games in particular and analyzing your own serious games uh, with, with higher rated opponents has probably <laughs> probably more actual improvement than most of those books. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an important point to highlight because I enjoy reading them as well. But um you know, I was just listening to uh, James Altucher, uh, of course, who's been on the podcast. He interviewed uh, Judith Polgar. Um, so definitely recommend listeners um, check for that podcast interview. And in it, you know, he asked Judith what what she had done to improve the most. And she actually credited uh, blindfold chess when she was a kid. And But curiously, she also said, like, today she doesn't even feel like that's enough anymore because everyone's doing that sort of thing. But she was... <laughs> she was ahead of her time, but James did like a little recap after the interview. And he was saying like, you know, doing the thing is the thing basically like, like reading the books is one thing, but you know, as the cliche goes, if you're going to learn to swim, 
you don't read a book about swimming. You just have to get in the water and, and figure it out. Um, so it's, you know, it's just kind of tricky to find the right balance. But then yeah. also hearing you talk about a uh, woodpecker method um, and um, GM Axel Smith's works um, makes me wonder where tactics fits into all of this. Because obviously a lot of the improvers I've interviewed are just doing tons of tactics and you haven't uh, really mentioned them that much yet. So, so definitely... I have been doing tactics, but the tactics that I've been focusing on are not the puzzle rush tactics, uh, but rather the, um, let's say, chest tempo 2100 rated or higher tactics. So it's where you kind of have to sit there and you sit on your hands and you don't move for 45 minutes and you make sure that you've seen everything that can possibly happen and you are completely comfortable that your, let's say, seven move calculation of like several different branches is like completely correct. So it's, it's like, um, it's not tactics per se, as more like visualization and calculation. Um, that's what I've been focusing on for the past, I would say, two years. Um, okay. So it's not, you wouldn't say it's like what got you to where you are, but it's become increasingly important. Yeah. Especially when I'm talking about the games where I'm playing people over the board or the games where I'm playing people and you have, uh, you know, sometimes I'll play a long, uh, like a 30 plus 30 game online. And you have a lot of time there to really sit and really calculate. And if you think you see something, but it fails, like you need to refute that early. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, being able to, to kind of calculate, not so much far, but but accurately is um, definitely a skill that I've been working on. Yeah. And that, again, echoes uh, good advice that uh, Peter Giannatos gave on, on the podcast about uh, solving challenging problems. I mean, he was just saying five to 10 minutes. So 45 minutes is, uh, is all, all the more impressive. Um, so you're, I think more, even though like I interview a lot of people about their sort of Lee chess rapid and classical ratings, I don't play a lot. Um, so I have more grounding in, in the fact that your blitz rating was like 2140 or whatever at the, at the time of this interview. So what is your USCF after like considering you barely played? So what is your USCF at this moment, Michael? Yeah, so my USCF is still the same rating it was, basically. So <laughs> I've played only two tournaments, the first one three years ago, the next one two and a half years ago. Um, so it's still, I think, just under 1,700, just around and still 1,700. Provisional. And I, I believe that means it's still provisional. I don't yeah. quite know the rules there. Um, but then I should say, actually, because... Sorry, um, you, so you can finish what you're saying. Yeah, so, so technically the... Um, I've played two tournaments since that are like USCF online rated ones. And right. so my online rating is probably like 1950 or 1960 or something, something like that. But, you know, it's not quite the same as, as the other. Rating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of things. So provisional ratings that I'm pretty, 90% sure it's, it's based on 25 games. And for okay. anyone listening um, who doesn't know how they work, basically um, in order to get a rating that fluctuates less, the first few tournaments you play, um, if you beat someone, they add 400 points to the rating of the person you play, and that gets inputted. If you lose to someone, they subtract 400 points, and that gets inputted. And if you draw, you input their rating. So, you know, if you played three 1600s and won one, lost one, and drew one, you'd be a 1600, just to give the most basic example. But of course, that means that your initial rating is going to be very subject to um, 
to the ratings of the people you play. If you play at 2,500, it's automatically going to pull up your performance rating, even if you lose. And if you play a 900, it's automatically going to pull down your performance rating, even if you win. Um, so after 25 games, you get an established rating, and then it's just like plus or minus 15 points or 20 points, or depending on what the rating difference is. So that's just a bit of background um, for anyone wondering. And I also just wanted to highlight the fact that hearing Michael talk about like how strong he is and he's rated 1700 for anyone who's been <laughs> playing tournaments here as the quarantine sort of ends, huh, as uh, COVID sort of maybe ends, like anyone getting frustrated with their results, like th- this is what you're dealing with. You know, there's people like Michael that have just been grinding for many, many hours and making amazing progress, as well as the kids whose ratings can't keep up. So keep your head up if you're uh, if you're out there trying and losing to all these lower rated people. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so do you have any uh, any current tournaments planned, Michael? Um, I would love to play in January, which is, you know, looking forward quite a bit, uh, the same tournament that I played those years ago. So I don't know if I would do it specifically because COVID still kind of gets me a little nervous. So I haven't fully gotten over it in order to, to like get out into the world yet. Um, but assuming things are better than they are now, that would be definitely a, a tournament I would love to do because it's local. There's a lot of stiff competition. And I think for once I could actually, I don't know, win or something, the under 1800. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll just play up a, a section. I'm not sure. Not sure. Yeah. So a tempting choice. I'm sure. Um, and are you still managing to spend a lot of time on on your chess right now? I mean, I'm sure like your grad work in applied mathematics is fairly demanding. <laughs> yeah. So especially recently, I've been trying my best not to focus 100% on chess. And uh, definitely, I'm trying to graduate in a year. So I, I'm really thinking uh, thesis work, research, math, etc. Um, but yes, I would say at night, I'm still able to kind of read for two hours or so uh, okay. a chess book or one one to two hours of a chess book and kind of end the day um maybe not like as a bedtime story but like I'll, I'll put in one to two hours of serious thought and then cool off with either some you know nothing blitz or, or just like watching some some streams or, or something like that yeah yeah and you're you've been a mod for uh i am andres toth's uh stream you mentioned yeah definitely uh <laughs> become uh, a big part of the online chess community in a lot of different ways. Obviously, there's a bunch of different communities, but um, Andras has a um, Twitch channel, and I'm a mod there. He and I, while he's not given me direct coaching, he has been uh, an inspiration, and we've talked a lot about uh, my chess. And he nice. he was one of those people that convinced me to basically just pick up the Open Sicilian and just go for it because cool. no one knows any theory, and it's a lot of fun, and you'll learn. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's he's been really nice about that. Um, I'm a big uh, follower of the Chess Bras for sure, and in fact, I'm going uh, on their trip to Tulum, Mexico. Uh, wow, to, I didn't know that was happening. That's going to be nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> they've they've got like a chess camp during the day, and then it's Tulum, Mexico at night. So we'll see what happens <laughs> <Wow>. there. <laughs> and then um, I've also I'm a moderator of a, a couple of uh, chess discords. Um, the Morphe Chess Club is, is kind of the big one, and um, also active in, in a couple other ones that I'm not a moderator of. And just having these communities where you can send people your games, you can analyze each other's games, you can talk through a chess book 
together online while like going through it simultaneously. So you like have a community. I think it's definitely helped my chess personally a lot to basically have people that you're working with, whether yeah. or not their, their rating is, is kind of not so important. Um, definitely helps to have people higher than you, but also if you're, you know, working with someone, let's say 400 points lower rated than you, the act of teaching an idea really cements it in your own personal uh, experience. I've learned that from, from just like teaching in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's very true in chess as well. It helps to teach. Yeah. Yeah. That harkens again back to James Altucher's uh, plus, plus minus equal, which uh, Jesse Cry also did a video about. So listeners right. um, should, uh, should check for that. But basically that's the idea is that you learn more from teaching um, in addition to playing. Um, so before we let you go, Michael, this has been some some amazing tips and it's uh, really inspiring to hear of your progress. But we do have one math-related uh, Patreon mailbag question. So this is from friend and supporter of the podcast, Matt Elliott. And Matt asks if you feel that your mathematical background has helped your chess game. In particular, have you studied graph theory? If so, do you feel it has helped your chess? And you should explain what graph theory is like you did to me before we were recording. <laughs> so um, I don't know if my math experience in particular has helped with my chess. You could argue that there are parts of math where you definitely have to visualize uh, kind of where you want to go. And there's certainly a logic to proofs that would be very similar to the logic you use when you're kind of refuting a variation that you're trying to consider over the board. Um, so in that sense, um, yes, they are similar. And, and you, I basically the reason I started chess during the, my original uh, self-quarantine was I thought I liked math and don't math people like chess. Like I had heard that. So I looked right. into it. Uh, spoiler alert. It, it seems yes. In fact, I do. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, um, like you're, sounds like you're more convinced about chess than math. <laughs> when you phrased that sentence. So, um, so yeah, in that sense, yes, they're related. Um, in terms of like true uh, math knowledge, uh, like graph theory, graph theory is kind of the understanding of um, the analysis of networks. And so the only real network that I would see in kind of chess would be all the move variations. You kind of start in your current position. There's, let's say, five different moves that you're going to be considering, and that branches in each of those will branch a couple. And that forms a graph. You can think of each position as a node, and you can think of the lines between them as moves that you're making. And so um, if you're going to analyze something in graph theory, um, I would say that probably at least to me the the research level mathematician in me is is going to be looking at the problem completely differently than anything that you would really consider in like let's say you're over the board and you're calculating these actual variations so it's like in theory they're similar but uh in practice i would say they're completely different ideas of how to approach um chess versus math uh with graph theory in particular okay and more broadly i think you mentioned you have one year left and you're sort of um current uh degree like what's what's going on with with your career um i know the uh the academic track can be um brutal it can be um True. quite competitive so what like what do you have to do to graduate and then what's next to finish your current degree i should say and what's next after that yeah so i have um this is my sixth year i've got some publications for sure and I'm trying to basically flesh out and publish um, this one final idea, which I'm currently working on. 
Um, I won't really explain it because it would take too long to kind of get through the background. Um, right. But suffice to say, it's uh, it's about uh, fluid dynamics and and applied mathematics. Wow. Um, and so I'm if I can kind of finish that reasonably quickly and then put together all of my work into kind of a coherent thesis, then that would be uh, maybe like a 150 to 200 page kind of article of like, here's all the work I've gone through in math. Um, and that would be hopefully done by let's say next May. And then I could graduate. Um, technically in terms of career, I'm not thinking pure academia. I really love teaching. And in fact, I really like teaching chess as well. Um, not so much as a coach, but just, uh, it's really fun to kind of like write articles and write studies on Lee Chess uh, that kind of explain concepts. Oh, yeah, which you've done a bunch of, right? Yeah, yeah, some of mine have been on the staff picks, which is really nice. <laughs> um, but basically, I would say I'm kind of in the realm of I want to go to one of the national laboratories um, and do research there. For uh, They have a bunch of different labs in the U.S. and a bunch of different people working on a bunch of really different interesting problems that are, I would say, engineering in nature, but you need an applied mathematician on the team to kind of uh, understand some of the dynamics of the engineering problem. So that's okay. kind of where I'm hoping to go, which is not pure academia. Okay. Man, heady stuff. Well, good luck. Um, <laughs> sounds like Thank you're you. in the, the home stretch of sort of an, an important uh, phase. Yeah, which is why I said I'm trying to lean off the chess a little bit, and that's why yeah. tournaments aren't my main focus. But yeah, yeah. Well, the beauty of chess is that that it will always be there. Um, so, in wrapping up, Michael, I feel like you should give a more um, more um, explicit shout out, detailed shout out to that Discord because I'm sure if there's room for more, I'm sure some people sure. would be interested. I, I agree with what you've said about community being really important. And then just to start brainstorming while you're saying that, I'm going to ask you for sort of three three takeaways, three the three things people should do um, to uh, to improve their chess game. Sure. So that Discord is the Morphe Chess Club. Um, it, you can find it on disboard.org. I know that's one of the main places that you can find discords, um, and we're probably one of the bigger chess ones. So if you okay, search so chess I'll link, there. I'll link to that. Yeah. Sure. Um. Let's see, in terms of the three takeaways, um, the main one is definitely play longer, serious games and really analyze them afterwards with an engine, by yourself, with other people. Everything you can do to analyze your own play is going to be really useful. Not so much because you're going to be expanding like your opening knowledge, but because you'll see the types of mistakes you're making. And if you can kind of think a little bit bigger than just every single game, and think about all the games, then you'll start to maybe make some conclusions on what you can improve on. So for me in particular, that was me realizing I was uh, I was playing scared. I was always scared mm -hmm. of positions opening up. Um, that's definitely the biggest one. The let's see, three takeaways. Um, number two, I would probably say would be playing higher rated people. Um, at Berkeley, it's been a lot of fun to play better people than me by a lot, like not even close to my level, and. Um, when you hear their thoughts, I guess it goes back to analyzing your own games, but when you hear their thoughts, they, they have some really interesting things to say. Um, and so talking to your opponents, both online and in person, has been something that I really like. Um, maybe that's similar to analyzing, but I'll, I'll put that as number two. Yeah, that's good. And then number three, at least for me, I'll put it as um, enjoying the game is sometimes more than just improving my own play. 
And so that's why I really like reading the chess books. And that's why I really like uh, kind of going back in history and seeing games from Tall and seeing games from Fisher. Um, my 60 memorable games was like a really good book, not because I probably improved a lot by reading it, but because these were some monumental figures in chess. And it, it's always interesting to, to kind of see their history. So getting a feel for the overall scene for, for me uh, brings so much enjoyment that it, it kind of keeps a passion for chess uh, running the entire time so then when i have to do something i don't want to do like memorize a whole bunch of moves of some opening in the night or for something <laughs> um it, you can keep the passion because you you know its place awesome all right man well this has been amazing so many actionable recommendations book recommendations um yeah it's 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 great to see and uh, and i it's awesome also i mean i feel like we we barely even spent time on the the sort of chess as an escape for for mental medical excuse me issues um <laughs> i mean it's uh it's it's awesome that that like you you were able to grab onto it at that moment and that your interest has sustained yeah yeah it started off as kind of a uh, something to keep me distracted um but definitely blossomed into much more than that i would say at this point for sure yeah and and the health you're you're good to go now completely good uh two and a half years of chemo um as i said most of it was hardcore in the very very beginning like for a couple months there um but yeah i've been i've been fine for i guess now seven years of uh no chemo so things awesome. are pretty good it's great to hear all right and nose knows all on lee chess michael if, if anyone wants to reach you another way is there another way or should they just message you on lee chess yeah, messaging me on Lee Chess would definitely be the best way. Knows knows all for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, keep up the good work. I hope you're able to uh, continue to find time for chess despite uh, all your other achievements, Michael. It's uh, been fun to hear about it. Yeah, hopefully. Looking forward to it. Thank you to everyone who listens to and supports the podcast. And most of all, thank you to my producer, Matthew Passy. Be sure to check us out on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at BennyFischel1. We also have a Perpetual Chess Facebook group where we continue the conversation about each episode. I've even got the Instagram page locked and loaded, actually posting clips every week. So you can follow at Perpetual Chess to catch some clips there. Um, I also want to thank our sponsors, of course, uh, Chessable.com, the original sponsor of Perpetual Chess, Aim Chess, Chess Mood. Thanks. I'm proud to be affiliated with all of these sites. Um, also want to thank Blue Wire Podcast, with whom I partner. Big shout out to Blue Wire. Check them out for sports podcasts. But most of all, I want to thank the individuals who helped make Perpetual Chess go via PayPal or Patreon. And of course, they get to find out the guests, send in questions, hear uh, occasional GM lectures on Zoom, um, and even get ad-free podcasts. So thank you all for supporting Perpetual Chess and keeping it going. So without further ado, I would like to give special thanks to the following people and entities. Chessable.com, David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, shout out to JB, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch channel, Aniti Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porteau, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Mitchell, I am Dimitri Schneider, Douglas Wilson, I am Eric Rosen, Farhan Thawar, 
Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, Campus Axelson, James Kennedy, Jay Garrison, Jeff Martinson, Jeff Schaefer, Jeremy Nelson, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John MacArthur, Kevin Forsyth, Kevin Gilmore, Kevin O'Callaghan, Kevin Pryor, King's Cell, King's Crusher YouTube channel, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nace Twitch channel, Peter McManus, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sadi, Philip Lummins, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Ray Lillywhite, Reuven Fisher, Robert Hansen, Ross Crossland, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gerson, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, and Wayne Bean. I would also like to give thanks to East Viega, Adam Fowler, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, Antonio Cancino, Antonio Leonfort, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brandon Halseed, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Ken Kabadai, sorry, Ken, Ken Kabadai, Chad Hilton, Chad Likens of Rose City Chess in Portland, Oregon, Chess for Charity in Jacksonville, Chess Patser, Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Kiefer, Chris Wainscott, Chris, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Costa Caros, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Best, Dave Saylor, David Blaskotschek, David Brown, David Gores, David Hamblin, David Cramley, David Peterson, Dennis Parrish, FM, Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Edwin Rodriguez, Ethan Smith, Evan Rosenberg, Ewan Richardson, Ian Mason, Felipe Melo Perilla, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letart Lavoie, uh, Frank Tortoris, MD, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, uh, Gene Stewart, George Foote, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Gregory Higgins, Han Shute, Harish Srinivasan, Howard V. Han. Uh, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Willem, Jay Tuttle, Jay Deep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Damas, Dekumus, excuse me, Jesse, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Jim Sadler, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joel Th- Thomas Ramos, John McAdams, John Tully, Juan Almagor, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Bannister, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Justin Goodfeller, Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Fredell, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky of Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Macaulay Peterson, Maria MLU. Emelianova, a.k.a. Photo Chess, Mark Chaves, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matt Ferrari, Matthew Allen Coughlin, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, the Mechanics Institute of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Negma Milijanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, Pablo Davida, 
Grandmaster Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passon, and Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Eckert, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management uh, Limited of Switzerland, Randall Montgomery, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Turner, Robert Wall, Robert Wilson, Rory Coleman, Ryan Berg, Sampson Teaches Chess, Satyajit Malugu, The Safe Chess, Publishing, Unstoppable, Empire, Scott McKinnon, Scott Rose, Sean Krause, Sebastian Finsterwalder, Sergey McCoggan, Seth Ruzica, Seth Will, Sean Tracy, Silver Knights in Richmond, Simon Schmidt, Stefan Roller, Stephen Miller, and Tom George, uh, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Terry King, Thomas Brown, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tobiah Rex, Tom Edzel, Tommy Farron, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Beauchamp, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Stoyanov. So thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you all next week. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.